I delight in in telling the story that I just told you about the globe. It does, I, I hope when the, the story's well told, it converts people from thinking about you know us in a kind of dismissive way to being inspired by us in a new way. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome to the final episode of season two of the Inspire podcast. When I started the Inspire podcast two years ago, I was new to podcasting, wasn't quite sure what this whole thing would look like, but I have just been blown away by how much fun it's been. 67 conversations, 40,000 listens, people from around the world learning as I have through these conversations, how to influence, inspire, and communicate as a leader. It's been a journey. And I'm so grateful, first all my guests who give their time, give their energy to uh, help with their insights on what it takes to lead on everything from storytelling to leading the future of work that's certainly come a little faster to pitching investors. It's been, um, I'm just so grateful for their time and expertise and also to my guests or my listeners, you. Thank you for being on this journey with me for all your comments, your positive reviews and uh, your appreciation why I do it. And so if you haven't, do take a moment, rate and review the show. It helps others find it. Today's my last episode of season two, and we'll be back. I'm going to take a few months off and relaunch, and there'll be a few differences and some exciting news to share with you about the direction the podcast is going. But that will be in 2021. Today, my final guest is Gabe Gonda. Gabe joins me from the Globe and Mail, and he has been on the forefront of helping the Globe convert itself from a traditional newspaper to a media company that uses data analytics and other tools to bring great news to its readers of whom I am one. So hope you enjoy this tale from Gabe of his own conversion to this new globe and how he now converts others. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Gabe Gonda to the Inspire Podcast. Gabe, great to have you here. Thanks so much, Bert. Uh, thanks for having me. You're obviously someone who has a background in telling stories and in um, figuring out what would make great copy. Yes. And so maybe I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, what do you do today? And really quickly, what's led you to this role? Well, my, uh, my, my current role is I'm Managing Director of Corporate Development at The Globe. And so I'm on the executive team. Uh, and that's a new role. Um, and, uh, but prior to that, I spent, um, I've been doing this for two years and obviously we'll, we'll get into what this is, um, because it's a whole uh, range of different things. But, um, prior to that, I spent 18 years in newsrooms as a, as a journalist of various kinds, uh, a lowly sports copy editor at the Toronto star, um, an intern there as well. And worked in every department in that newsroom and, um, was a city hall reporter briefly, uh, an assignment editor, an, 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 a night copy 
desk manager and uh, rewrite person, a section editor at the Toronto Star, and then at the Globe over about a, a decade, um, spent you know time as a, a, an editor of various sections, and then ultimately what's called a master ed- head editor. So someone who's responsible for overseeing a number of section editors. So that was my my path in a very condensed form. And now I know when I when I visited you in your current capacity, uh, I was really excited to learn about. Uh, what you what you're doing in digital? Yes. To change how we consume news, and not just here, but uh, partnering with publications like Washington Post. Yeah. Uh, in really exciting ways. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, the Globe um, has an incredible um, technology team, uh, and I get the privilege of working with them. Uh, our CTO Greg Dufas and his team um, have, over the past five years, done a whole host of really critical things in helping to transform our business. Mm -hmm. First, kind of um, from almost nothing, building up a data science business. And data science, like AI, like automation, is one of those sort of buzzwords or buzz phrases that seems like, you know, table stakes today. You have to mention Mm -hmm. it, you have to say you're doing Mm -hmm. it. Um, What does it really mean? In our case, what it really meant was getting a lot better at understanding what our audience was doing on our platforms. How how they were coming to us from where, Mm how much time they were spending with us, what they were reading, what was converting them, what was leading them to be converted and so on. And if they were already subscribers, um, what was keeping them with us. And that that team not only built great tools to help us do that, which are now products, mm-hmm. which is now a spin-off company, which is one of the most exciting things that's, that's really neat, yeah. ever happened at the Globe, hmm. but they also got us into the right kinds of partnerships. So as you mentioned, the Washington Post, another great newspaper, which plays a really vital role in, in civil society. As, as people know, they're owned by Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. who's the you know principal shareholder of Amazon and you know a controversial figure in his own right in his day job, the source of a, a bit of criticism I, I know for a, a range of things, mm-hmm. as a, anyone who's a, a big tech principal is today, goes to the territory. Uh, as a side gig, he bought this newspaper. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things he's done, well, he did a couple of interesting things is, one, he didn't interfere with it. Um, so whatever you might think of his stewardship of Amazon or AWS or his other, other businesses, as a newspaper proprietor, I think people there would say, editorial people would say, he he did what good proprietors do, which is they let the journalists be journalists and they worry about the business. And one of the ways he did the latter was he took all of the incredible um, capacities at his other companies in engineering and problem solving, and he started to apply them to um, this legacy business. And specifically, uh, in one instance, in the area of you know some of the software that publishers use. Publishers are not great, traditionally great mm-hmm. developers or, or even, I'd say, purchasers of software. They're, they're a little niche and, and they're, they don't generally have huge budgets. Over the last decade or so, they've been shrinking. Bezos found that the CMS, the content management system that the Washington Post was using, was unsurprisingly not to his standards. Um, but uh, instead of going out to buy another one, uh, he thought, well, I'll take all of my smart engineers and I'll build one. So they started doing that. And when they started doing that, they got sort of ahead of steam and, and they realized they would need people to kind of work with. And it was our good fortune that we were in talks with them and our CTO and their CTO connected. And the Global Mail became an investor and kind of a beta client of their CMS, which is called ARC, which is today a, um, a big uh, software platform right. that's being mm. sold globally to all kinds of publishers. It which is, is the, so neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. The, I don't know if it's the gold standard, but it's it's one of the better CMSs out there. You're almost a software company with a newspaper attached. That's right, <laughs> and that's what they posted. Well, they inspired us. Right. And so our CTO, who was kind of 
working with them to integrate ARC into the globe, realized, well, geez, we've got this great data science. It shouldn't just be a solution. Um, why don't we ditch our, uh, some of our software that we buy to measure audience behavior and start to use our own? And, and we did that. And then over time, we realized we had something that was really valuable and perhaps something that we'd like to uh, then shop around. And when we lifted our heads up from the hard work of developing these things and testing them on ourselves, we realized we were actually pretty far ahead of our, our industry. And at that point, um, started to kind of go down the road of commercialization. Yeah. Which is really neat. And I think, you know, let's, so if we just take a step back for a moment and we look at the journey that you have from, you know, 18 years as a journalist to now having this incredible partnership and technology that you're selling in the world. You know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about and why I do this podcast is learning about what it takes to inspire. Yeah. And, and you used a word when we met, you uh, perhaps drawn from the word of journalism, which is conversion. Yeah. And you talked about it both in terms of your own conversion from times earlier in your career where perhaps your passion was waning. Yeah. And, but also as a way that, you know, as you've driven this change in, in what's a very traditional institution uh, and have been successful and now kind of reshaping the, not just how, what people do, but how they think about it, that you, you set out to kind of convert people. Yeah, for sure. I, I like to convert people because I think, you know, our industry is, has taken some knocks and, um, and um, I delight in, in telling the story that I just told you about the globe. It does, I hope when the story's well told, it converts people from thinking about you know, us in a kind of dismissive way to being inspired by us in a new way. I think the core of what we do hasn't changed. Like mm -hmm. putting good accountability journalism out there, whether it's in business or in politics or in other areas to um, inform and inspire people um, is still the core of what we do. Mm -hmm. The mission of the globe is to make Canada better. Um, we believe our journalism can help do that. Conversion is a, a critical concept for our business today because most of our revenue comes from subscribers. Um, even five years ago, before Sophie, which is the, 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 the tool and now the company that we built in the data science space uh, existed, we were a company that got 70% of its revenue from advertising. Wow. Today, it's, it's, it's reversed. It's about 70% from user pay and 30% rather. We have a great conference business. Um, but data science played the critical role in that. And conversion is just the term in the industry for taking somebody who's not a customer and turning them into a customer. No, look, our journalism does that, but it didn't do that as efficiently as it could until we built these great tools. But, so how would you define conversion in, well, your, in your own life and career? <laughs> it was a really interesting moment. And it actually it ties in with this idea of what Sophie has done for our business. Um, it was in 2017, I think, that the Globe was going through its last print redesign uh, and relaunch. Now, those exercises are ones that publications do um, periodically. And sometimes they're, they're undertaken because a new leadership team wants to put its stamp on a product and announce itself to the world. Sometimes it's done um, because you've got costs to address and you're, 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 you're kind of dressing up a restructuring as a product relaunch. Um, in, in this instance, it was a little bit more, I think, of the latter. Um, but, but there were some interesting twists because, um, you know, we, 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 we slimmed the daily paper down to two sections, news and business. And then we, we did a little restructuring of the weekend paper where we took two sections that were existing, style and travel, put them into one and called them pursuits. But then something really exciting happened. And for the first time, we took longitudinal data that Sophie had given us, mm -hmm. which tracks audience behavior over time. And, and among the really neat things it showed us was there was a gap between the amount of opinion journalism we produced and the demand. 
in its fashion, through its fancy math, the Sophie tool basically told us that we could triple the number of opinion columns we ran and still not quite meet the demand of our audience. So a number of us- And, and were you, a, you were a masthead editor at this time? I was. And, we and you got this data. <laughs> we had this data and we didn't quite know what to do with it, but someone around the table sort of had, the, had a eureka moment and said, like, why don't we build a new section and a new weekend section called opinion based on this data to, to meet the demand and grow the team and grow the amount of content we're doing and sort of feed it's this great idea. demand. Yeah. We're listening to our audience, yeah. what you're supposed to do. Um, well, it was really, as far as we're concerned, the first instance of digital data informing a print product relaunch that I know of in our industry. And we did just that. And it was really exciting because, you know, uh, every publishing um, leader uh, has been part of restructurings, but it's very rare to be part of a kind of a, a growth story. But that's just what we did. We added people to the team. We we built this beautiful new construct. We produced more journalism that people wanted. And in the case of the opinion section, it was really fabulous because you're, you're building a, a print section that could accommodate not just 600 word columns, but like ambitious, longer form. And I read it. Right. I love it. So yeah. 10,000 word pieces by great authors uh, working with the publishing sector to kind of find a home for their work and really kind of, again, having having a chance to make a difference. Um, so did this, I mean, I can hear it in your voice, the excitement. Yeah. Did this re-energize you? It totally what? did. And, 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 and then another interesting thing happened along the way. It was really fun to invent this. It was really fun to be able to be part of an, an, a, a new thing. I suppose a part of me is sort of a ventures junkie, it turns right. out. This, this was a new venture. And one of the things that struck me as interesting about the process, because I wasn't close to the commercial side at that point, or as close as I am today, was you know our revenue teams were very focused on the pursuits section um, because they wanted to kind of consolidate their sales focus around it. Um, but you know, for obvious reasons, no one was paying a lot of attention to opinion. It's brand new, A, and traditionally, that kind of uh, journalism, which is not focused on products, right. is focused on ideas, generally controversial ideas, isn't seen as sales friendly. Right. I, I simply thought, this is really exciting. There's gotta be someone who wants to attach their name to it. And so, kind of on spec, I went out and uh, with a thesis that the right kind of company would want to align its marketing campaign with this new idea and this new product to try and sell it myself. As a and, kind of, and had you had you been kind of given the authority to do this or you're just like, I'm just going to make a call? I, I hadn't been given the authority to do it, <laughs> right. no. I, but I, I, having learned the hard way earlier in my career, I, 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 did, I did make sure I wasn't surprising anyone right. doing so. <laughs> uh, I didn't ask for permission. But I, 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 I sort of said, look, I'm going to try this. And, and I, I was kind of tacitly given a blessing. Uh, I wasn't sort of vaporized right. when I suggested it. And so I did something unusual. I called up uh, a, an acquaintance who happens to be a relatively well-known figure in financial services in Canada, um, Sam Safe, who's the principal uh, of, who's been the principal of multiple finance firms over the years, Claymore, which is an early ETF, uh, and, and inclu including others, Purpose Investments. And my thesis was really simple. Um, and, and as I say, I'm not a marketing MBA or even a marketer, um, but I was just sort of operating intuitively. You know, I had noticed that the purpose, although small, um, was very, very clever in how it had carved out what I would describe as sort of asymmetrical marketing opportunities. Anyone who's taken a, an Air, Air Canada, Canada flight, flight knows yeah. that SomSafe owns the yes. pre-roll. Yes, he does. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I liked the name. The yeah. name spoke to the product. 
So I literally cold called Sam and said, you want to go for lunch? And I took a prototype of this thing and I had mocked it up where there was a banner ad on the bottom. And I said, we could write the copy. I even had a slogan, ask questions with purpose. And I, and I had sort of said like, look, we could generate sort of copy based on the headlines of the day. And then we could actually plug this in digitally to, you know, you know your, your, your goals and so on. And he liked the idea. And so over a number of months, working with folks that I hadn't worked with previously on the sales teams, excellent people who understood uh, client services and, and the metrics of these kinds of deals and so on better than I did, we, we, we put together a partnership. And it was fascinating to watch because, of course, I had been focused on what I guess I would now describe as the brand side. Yes. Um, and, and what his marketing teams were more focused on, as we learned, was, you know, they wanted to get the, the influential, um, you know, and potentially high net worth folks who are on the Globe's platforms to click into their ads and ultimately go to the Purpose right. website. And it turned out our Sophie tools, our audience conversion tools, could help measure and track mm. that. And they were very happy with that. And so it was a really successful partnership. And um, I, I mean, I had, I had in, informed my, my masters uh, at some point during the same period that I was sort of curious about exploring new opportunities. Yeah. Uh, when this happened, it sort of opened up a new path and, and created my converted me from yes. the, the light side to the dark yes. side of the business. The dark side of digital. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, the dark side of commercial, right? Because <laughs> right. in our business, we call the money side the dark side. Ah, okay, uh, you crossed over. I crossed <laughs> over through that. So that that was really the, the pilot neat. of my new life. Huh. Well, I think want. There, there are a lot of things I, I take away from that. I mean, I think the first really interesting thing, being in the business of you know, helping people influence and inspire is the role that data plays yeah. for you. I mean, you know, to identify what people actually want to hear and to not, you know, I'm sure you have brilliant editorial talent. Yeah. And yet it was Sophie which told you, you know, what people actually wanted. Yeah, that really a, stands out. You're absolutely right, Barton. It's, it's a funny business like that where we really over rely on our gut and our intuition. And, and I think there's a, it has a great value. I, I confess I was not a super user of Sophie when I was an editor. Mm. I wasn't dismissive of it. I liked it in theory, but I didn't make my decisions based mm. on it. So seeing the longitudinal data in the context of this relaunch was the first time I really made a, a, a strategic decision right. based on the data. And it, it, it was powerful. Um, and it, did the result of uh, when you launched Opinion... Did the it's, results bear it out? It's a success. It yeah. continues to be one of the core pillars of what we do. Um, you know, it's not a topic area. It's a right. kind of journalism. But the, the metrics continue to support the idea that Globe's audience wants informed analysis and opinion as part of their diet. They want a lot right. of it. Uh, that section continues to be great. There's a, a report on business-specific uh, opinion vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, frankly, we can't produce enough of it. And, <laughs> and the key to that is that it's informed. Yes. Like, we're, we're not... We're not in the business of hot takes. Right. So when you take those two things that you learn, you know, that, that data can really influence communication and also your own passion, and then you cross over the dark side, what was your first mandate? And, and then how did that lead into the kind of converting of people inside the building you had to do? Yeah, well, you know, one of the mandates that I was a part of, uh, and I still am, is the Globe and Mail seeking a... Um, uh, a charitable license, um, uh, you know, a designation from uh, Canada Revenue Agency that would allow a Globe and Mail Foundation to accept donations and issue tax receipts, and then use some of those funds to support our journalism. That we've got, an, we've made an application to the CRA, and that's pending. Um, but um, so, so part of the mandate was going to be to sort of, and that, and that would have involved, you know, and it, and it will still involve, should it should it come to pass, me or others 
and being in a position where we would go out and try and sort of convert philanthropists hmm. uh, to, to supporting to, to, to donors to journalism. Um, so that was one of the mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the other mandates were to kind of just help with strategy, s- sort of senior level partnerships and and general revenue diversification right. to create opportunities for the globe where we could align with folks on sort of both business interests and mission. Right. And so, you know, there was there's a number of ways to activate those two kind of imperatives, mm-hmm. the business imperative and the kind of mission imperative. Mm-hmm. And you, you can do it through, you know, partnership like SOM where there's mm-hmm. a kind of, there's a media buy. Mm-hmm. You could do it through sort of supporting newsroom initiatives. We have this great conference business. Mm-hmm. Um, I've Mail. spoken in your conference room. <laughs> so we do great conferences. That's a, that's a really great uh, line of business for the globe. Uh, you know, at the high end, we do partnerships with uh, commercial institutions where the where the conferences are around big, important policy questions. Right. You know, one of the ones that I, I think was has turned out best for us is our partnership with the Bank of Montreal, where um, their support and kind of collaboration allowed us to do really ambitious um, policy discussions around um, bilateral relations uh, with can- between Canada and China. We did a conference last year in the Global Mail Center, which was in partnership with BMO, where we brought in the then um, Chinese ambassador to Canada, Lu Shaye. We had um, remarks not only from him, but from um, David Mulroney, our former ambassador to China, um, Jean Chrétien, former prime minister, leading uh, policy experts from places like the Brookings Institution. Our own correspondent, Nathan Vanderclip, flew in from Beijing to interview David Mulroney. What was remarkable about that was you have a really uh, big Canadian financial institution, one of the big five banks, not notorious for their... Um, uh, you know, risk taking historically, one of the things that people have valued about Canadian banks is how they manage risk very well, but willing to take a bit of a risk here and have some courage in putting their name behind a pretty, what turned out to be an extremely vigorous public debate. Um, The the Chinese ambassador was spared no one's feelings in Mm. describing what he thought was a kind of myopic, um, chauvinistic, backward, colonialist approach on the part of Western counterparts, including Canada. David Mulroney, our former ambassador, in his interview with Nathan Vanderclip, described China's actions um, in some contexts with respect to its Uyghur minority as genocidal. Um, you had, you know, really interesting it's range. No, of, no holds barred. No, pull, no, <laughs> no punches pulled. And you know, to its, to their credit, the Chinese delegates sat in. To listen to these critical remarks, and and they lasted to the end when you had a former prime minister, right. Jean Chrétien, describe a much warmer time right. in, in bilateral relationships. Let everyone leave feeling something positive. <laughs> you know, he he led what what were then right. called the Team Canada missions, right. opening opening some of these trade relationships. Yeah, uh, he had a good relationship with Jiang Zemin. He took he told some funny jokes, and at the end of the day, um, uh, Lu Shaye was was. Uh, uh, tickled by some of these stories. Yeah. I, I gathered there was some meaningful dialogue that happened as a result of this conference. The The net result for our journalists was that they wrote a story the next day, which was on the front page of the Globe, um, which characterized, based on the, the remarks in the Globe Center, Canada-China relations being at rock bottom. Hmm. Now, that's not a happy outcome, but it's a useful outcome. Yes. Sometimes just capturing where things are at is the first... Right. Uh, piece you need to start to kind of think through how to get there. A, a year later, we're not much further ahead for a, a myriad of reasons. But I know that the, there was sort of some action and some relationship um, activities stirred up by that conference. The, the point of that is, you know, when you find the right commercial partners and you align on on a kind of uh, idea, um, you can do some interesting stuff. Yeah. And, and to me, so that's really exciting that you're able to go out in the community, find these new partners. 
and convert them to kind of a new way of working with the globe. Yeah, and, and we're working on some really exciting stuff now um, where we'd like institutional partners like BMO to kind of think of us as a great way to advance their mission. You know, there's a huge amount of, companies have their narrow, um, you know, sort of shareholder focus, but there's been so much written in the last year about stakeholder, um, um, the importance of yes. a, a wide range of Purpose. stakeholders. Purpose, ESG. Social responsibility. And again, buzzwords. Right. So how do you make these real? Right. I, I don't doubt the sincerity of most um, corporate leaders, but it's difficult to distinguish yourself in that space. Mm-hmm. We would argue that supporting journalism, public policy journalism directly, is a pretty unique value proposition. We do it really well. It's hard to do. Um, we do it at an inst- institutional, influential mm-hmm. scale. Yes. We speak to policy leaders, to corporate leaders, yeah. you know, in a way that's very trusted. And so I think, I hope in the next year we'll be able to announce some really innovative stuff in yeah. that space. And let me delve in for you personally. So you're you're in this role. You've yeah. obviously achieved some things with partners like BMO. You, you're really going out to convert others. Yeah. <laughs> and so what approach do you take? I mean, what helps you reshape how people perceive their potential relationship with the globe from a communication standpoint? I think it's about um, that idea I mentioned a moment ago, which is around finding a, play, a common ground when it comes mm-hmm. to your values. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it, and that starts with listening. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone is a, an ideal partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to know who you're speaking with and what they're motivated by. Uh, and and have a reasonable um, sense that you have some of the same values. Um, and once you have that, once you say, okay, you know, there is there's some common fundamental beliefs, or mm-hmm. we share some aspects of worldview, then what? I mean, I, I I always say I do in this job what I used to do as an assigning editor. You know, I find an urgently interesting or important idea. And then I find someone who can support it. Now, as an assignment editor, when I was in the newsroom, you know, I would do that. I would scan my environment, other newspapers, my own newspaper, the world at large. I would listen to the reporters and their chatter and so on. And what they told us, usually it's, you know, good reporters tend to drive their own beats. And right. hopefully they just tell you what they're doing and you help. You say, great, great story. Off you go. <laughs> How can I support you? Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, sometimes you, you got to go prospecting. And and in this job, it's, it's similar. Like that BMO event, it took 18 months to execute, but it started because I sent an email to their head, then head of wealth management. And I said, look, it was, it was about a, a move they'd made that we had reported on uh, in the Globe, in ROB, in terms of their China business. Bank of Montreal has been incorporated for uh, a couple of decades in China. They have a Chinese bank. You know, their CEO goes there a couple, couple times a year, four times a year to, 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 for a board meeting. They've got Chinese board members. They're deeply integrated into the Chinese financial system in a way that very few Canadian institutions are. I think PowerCorp would be the other one that would come to mind um, for its deep ties with China. And I said to this a person with whom I had a, a relationship, uh, look, you guys are doing this. Uh, on the side, we, we, we can both see that the relationship between the two countries is found, foundering. We're both invested in solutions here. Why don't we get together and talk about this? And that look, it took 18 months for them to get there, but that's how it began. Hmm. Um, so you knew, as you said, you knew you had common values. Yeah. You saw the big idea. Yeah. And then you brought it to them. So it was almost like they're your editor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was sort of editing him, yeah. or he was editing right. me. Exactly. Yeah. But, but co- collaborating, right? And right. So um, I, I, tr- I had I had to trust that they right. would. I didn't know when I sent that email. But Daryl White would be willing to stand on a stage, the Bank of Montreal's CEO and uh, 
and, and share the stage with these controversial opinions. It's to his great credit that he was able to do so. But, but that was the instinct. Um, you know, it works in other areas too. When it comes to things like Sophie, to get back to the data science business, you know, we we are we have interesting conversations with um, with other technology companies, software companies, private equity companies about how we can sort of scale and, and monetize our business. So in those instances, you're finding more the alignment on on business solutions right. than on values mm-hmm. um, but it works the same way you know it's it's you start with alignment you bring an idea forward you see where there's a fit and then you develop it that's exactly right mm. and then in between you got to tell a good story right and it's got to be credible <laughs> right incredible stories depend mm. on some pretty basic bread and butter principles right great stories have have characters they have urgency they have an arc yeah they have rising and falling action yeah um, yeah they have high stakes mm-hmm. um, so all the all the you know there's a low moment and then it there's right. a recovery. Yeah. In every in every deal, yes. in every partnership, there are low moments. Yes, there are. Um, Otherwise, the the resolution wouldn't be worthwhile. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so let's look so externally. That's really good for me to understand and for people listening to understand what it takes to go out and kind of convert people who uh, are really inspired by new ways of thinking, and big ideas. Yeah. How about internally? Because you know, as you go through change here. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there were people who, like yourself, had to go through a conversion. Yeah. Is it the same internally? How do you win people over to what's now possible? I think you bring them wins. Hmm. Okay. You, you work with them. What does that look like? I, I mean, I didn't know how to. I, I, I knew. Look, I knew some safe, and I knew I had a notion. Right. I didn't know how to execute it. Hmm. And so, and I and I wasn't getting a commission, so I needed people's help. Right. To execute a, a plan, uh, or even create one, frankly. And then I and then I could bring them a, a victory, right. uh, something to count against their a big deal. <laughs> goals. Um, right. And so I really believe in 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 accretive solutions. I'm really not a zero sum person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I think you can convert people internally when you uh, are on their side, mm-hmm. when you're helping them be better at their jobs, um, when you're learning from them, when you're leveraging their talent. Um, I think those are all things that help enormously. Um, and, and when and when and when you establish that um, through ac- action, then you have credibility, and that builds trust. Well, this is great. You know, I've I really come away, you know, excited, of course, by what's going on with the globe. But um, I love your passion around conversion and how you go out and do it. For people listening who maybe they're not like transforming a newspaper, but I think everyone who uh, communicates and wants to inspire this concept of conversion is a powerful one. What? You know, piece of advice would you give to anyone who has to go out and do this kind of persuading? <laughs> well, I, th- I think know yourself um, is is really important, um, and trust yourself. Um, uh, so know who you are. That awful uh, buzzword authenticity yeah. is so um, is is peppered so liberally throughout yeah. um, our worlds today. But I think. Um, you know, it, it, it matters because I think um, to connect with people, they have to know that you are who you right. say you are. Um, so, so self-knowledge is a key piece of, I think, authenticity. And I think you said it earlier, but listening, like know who you're talking to. Uh, try to put yourself in their shoes. I think empathy is enormous. Again, another, mm-hmm. another all the good words have been taken. They were taken for a reason though. Resilience, I mean, empathy. Yeah, but uh, I, think, you know, I think you're right. You know, like you... Back to knowing yourself and being authentic. I think what's powerful about your passion for how you take these ideas to people, like some, is that you yourself kind of were converted to them, right? That you were sitting there, you were like not yeah. super passionate, and suddenly this redesign happened. And I think that story, having your own story, Look, 
is powerful. <laughs> know something, believe in something. Yeah. You know, those are so big. You can't substitute for that. I've learned from colleagues in the newsroom who are more fierce and talented than I am. One of the key ingredients in our business is courage. Hmm. And I, moral courage is such a rare um, characteristic. I didn't realize how rare it was until I saw it in action, you know? And so that means taking a really lonely battle to a, a, a powerful organization or a government, even when everyone's saying you're wrong, yeah. um, when it's unpopular, but because it's the right thing to do and having the courage of your convictions. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a powerful thing. Um, and then listening and looking for the conviction and the courage in others and being open to that and right. leveraging that, you know? Um, but I think that thing on, on alignment is key. Yeah. Um, I think you've got to know what your values are and then find people who share yeah. them and mm -hmm. then work together to make and, cool, stu and cool I stuff like, happen. Yeah, and finding where you share that courage. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing your story with me. And, My pleasure. And everyone listening. It's, yeah. uh, it's inspiring. And, you know, I, I'm inspired to have journalism being done yeah. by even people have crossed to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> but um, doing a great job with it. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Bart. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gabe Gonda. Really neat to see the way media is headed and what's possible. I believe we need great journalism in this era more than ever, and uh, I'm proud to be a Globe subscriber, more so now, uh, even after I listen to Gabe. So that's it for season two. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, but we'll be back early in 2021 with some more guests, uh, some more inspiration. Uh, all designed to help you lead and inspire in every interaction. So thanks for joining me on this journey and I'll talk to you next year.